talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other And the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing, and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is He tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I stay in the garden with. He bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever Bibles, something that opens the Bible, open it up to John chapter 16. Thank you, Vance, for our music tonight, as always. It's one of my favorite hymns. Let me ask you, what is it that gives you peace? If I was to ask you, if we were to sit down and have a conversation about peace, what would you say is the thing that gives you the most peace? Sometimes it's peace and quiet, right? Sometimes it's a serene moment uh, on the back porch with a cup of coffee with the beauty of nature surrounding you. Uh, when you have uh, been married and had kids, sometimes it's uh, those alone moments, right? Kathleen and I, uh, we have the opportunity to get away every once in a while. Not that we don't uh, cherish our time with our children, but we also cherish our time with each other and Sometimes when we go someplace, we'll get in the car and start driving, and we'll just be in complete silence. 
And uh, sometime, one time she, she said, boy, you've got to really be comfortable with people to just sit in silence like this. And I said, yep. And then I thought, or you have to have four kids and appreciate what silence is like, right? Is that peace, though? Is that really what we mean when we say peace? The, 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 the dictionary defines peace as the absence of conflict. Uh, and so, you know, how do you define peace? No matter how you define peace... The thing is, is that we all want it. We all want that sense of peace in our life. And when Jesus talks about peace, he talks about something that, well, it's not something we can manufacture on our own. When he talks about peace, he is talking about something that he can only secure for us and we can only attain what he says in him. That's what the scripture says, that we will have peace in him. The scripture we're going to look at tonight in John chapter 16 talks about peace. And peace, we need to make sure we understand that peace is not based on situation, at least it doesn't need to be, nor does it need to be based on circumstance, at least it shouldn't be. But we have a tendency to define our amount of peace in our life based upon the circumstance or situation we find ourselves in. Isn't that funny how that is, that we've got this inner turmoil brewing inside of us, and we've you know, got the um, disgruntlement in our life, or whatever it may be, a, a trouble in our life, and because of that, we just have a real lack of peace. And what Jesus says is, that doesn't need to be the case, because the truth is, is you will face trouble in this life, and when you face that trouble, you need to understand you can still experience peace. How do we find that? Well, let's look at our scripture tonight and walk through it. Chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, verses 25 through 33. He says, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and I have, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language, now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Verse 31, Jesus responded to, responded to them, Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home. You will leave me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous, I have conquered the world. Father, we thank you for this evening, and we thank you for your word. And Father, I just pray that you would speak to each one of us through your word. Lord, if you can use me to do such a thing, then I pray that same thing, that you would use me to speak to us, to speak to our hearts, Father, that you would change us from the inside out. You are such a good God. Such a good God that is painted in so many different ways through your scripture. Lord, I pray we can just catch a glimpse of it. Because I, I think, Lord, sometimes we, we miss how good you really are uh, for the sake of our own circumstances. 
Father, I pray that we would not be blinded to that goodness because of our circumstances. But instead, we would just fall in love with the fact of how good, beyond our understanding, you are. It's your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. And so verse 25 starts with Jesus assuring his disciples that a day is coming when they would better understand his words. Have you ever been told that same thing, that a day is coming when you would better understand what God is trying to talk to us about in his scripture? Or that a day is coming when you would finally understand everything that you never understood? I don't know about you, but I've been pretty much raised in church, and I can remember the preacher saying stuff like that from the pulpit. I can remember the Sunday school teachers saying things like that, that a day is coming when we would no longer uh, be confused by what we uh, were confused by. You know, we might have a perfect understanding of what the Trinity is all about. We would have a perfect understanding of the end times because the end times will have come and gone and we'll be uh, living in in eternity in, in heaven. But I don't think that's what Jesus is actually talking about when he tells his disciples that a day is coming when they would better understand his words. He says there's a day coming uh, that when he would no longer use figures of language or figures of speech uh, when he communicates with them. Now, in our language, figurative language, uh, figures of speech are those tools that we use to take literal situations and re-communicate them for effect or for emphasis. For instance, those who haven't seen my kids in a while might say they've grown like weeds, right? Now, if you really meant that literally, that would be kind of weird. Number one, kids don't grow like weeds. If you know anything about weeds, they grow really quick and then they die. And so you don't really want that. And then, well, of course, they spread their poisonous stuff all over the place, right? So you don't really mean that. It's a figure of speech. And if you start thinking about it, a lot of things that we say are figures of speech, right? I was more nervous than a cat in a rocking chair uh, warehouse or something like that, I think is the old saying, or something of that nature, right? Those are figures of speech, and we use it to emphasize or give an effect of what we're trying to talk about. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. He never talks about, you guys are going to be about as nervous as a, as, a, as a cat in a rocking chair assembly. Or What is the old saying? What is it, Dan? Room full of rocking chairs. I knew I was getting it all mixed up. I'm not good at that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. What he is talking about is his veiled teachings that he had been going with all along uh, the way. Uh, you know, he was using parables. He was, he was uh, uh, teaching with stories and, and things of this nature. And a lot of times people would be confused. And in fact, he said part of the reason he did that was why. So the hard-hearted would not be able to hear and understand and believe, right? Another reason that Jesus might have taught this way was because when our understanding of what God is trying to teach us is a little weak, I don't know about you, but I go after it. And the hope is is that as we go after it, our faith grows. The truth of it is, those things that you did not understand years ago that you now understand has caused your faith in him to grow. Listen, if you want peace in your life, understand that gaining an understanding of what Jesus is trying to teach us and talk to us about, P 
peace comes from that faith-growing exercise. So when he says, a time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father, what he is talking about is growing our faith. And what is he going to do specifically to help our faith grow and understand what he was talking about? Well, I think what he is pointing to specifically here is after the Pentecost. Now, what happens at the Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came down. The Holy Spirit came upon all those who believed in Jesus Christ. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, one of the things we talked about that the Holy Spirit did is he taught all truth or revealed all truth about Jesus Christ to us. And so when he says, I will tell you plainly about the Father, I believe he's talking from the perspective or referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit. And again, if we want to talk about peace and a peace that passes understanding, understand peace will come and transpire in our life when we uh, tune in to that very real Holy Spirit that resides in us. We cannot know the peace of God apart from our relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And so thinking about these, these men that are in His presence, whom He spoke with, they, they fell away from the faith, but then they returned to the faith that Jesus called them to. They stood firm in the faith, faith stood firm in the faith, facing the persecution later on in life, being the progenitors of the church that Jesus founded and called them to be founders of, they were able to find this peace, not because of anything they knew and understood on their own, but because of what the Holy Spirit was revealing to them about God and about the truths of Jesus Christ. As we spoke last week, they would indeed ask whatever they would need in Jesus' name, and they would receive that request, but the underlying stipulation of their request is that it would be of the will of Jesus and that their request and the will of Jesus would be hand in hand. And that is the meaning of, Jesus, of praying in Jesus' name. And yet, what does he clarify in verses 26 and 27? On that day you will ask in my name and I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And so what he clarifies is this. When we pray in His name, meaning that we pray for His will and His glory, for the building up of His kingdom, God hears us. God listens to us. We do not pray to Jesus and in doing so ask Him to pray to God for us. And this is a huge statement because there are some faiths and some churches or denominations or whatever you want to call them that will teach that for God, to be able to hear you, you must pray to another mediator. You must pray to this person or to this saint or so on and so forth. And what Jesus himself, who is God himself, is, is, is doing, he's, he's taking to task this idea that we have to go to anybody else. And he's in fact saying, you don't even have to come to me. But in praying in Jesus' name doesn't mean I'm going to talk to the Father for you. He hears you. Why? Because you love me, and because you believe me, and because you have relationship with, with me. And this teaching gives us a peace of knowing that we can, in fact, approach and request directly from God the Father our requests 
that are in Jesus' name. Now, our temptation is to ask, if I can ask God directly and do so in Jesus' name, where is my health and wealth? Where is my very sanctified situation? Where is the peace that comes from circumstances? And again, we need to remember, in Jesus' name is not a magical charm statement to give us whatever we want. When I was a kid, I would watch cartoons. And sometimes those cartoons would feature a character that was trying to get into a secret entrance. And to get into that secret entrance, that character would say this, Open sesame, right? Took me a long time before I realized it was saying, says a me, by the way. So it's open sesame. Did I just blow somebody's mind? They're like, that's what they're saying? Open sesame, right? Saying in Jesus' name is not the open sesame to getting whatever our flesh desires. In Jesus' name is a reminder that our prayers are to reflect the name and will and glory of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name recognizes the fact that what I will and what God wills may be different, but that I need to defer to Him and His will every time. Do we want peace no matter the circumstance or situation? We need to defer to His will instead of insisting upon our own. And then I believe what the disciples say next kind of just I don't know if it amps up Jesus or it breaks his heart. I have a hard time uh, catching the emphasis of it. Let's just read verses 29 through 31 again. His disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figures of language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus responded to them, do you now believe? Part of me wants to read that sarcastically as if Jesus is saying, what? The miracles weren't enough. All of my awesome teachings weren't enough. Now you believe? That's, that's part of how I want to read it. And it's like this confession that, the, that the, the disciples are making. It's kind of an empty confession. Oh, now we see. Now we believe. But then I, as I backed up and I kind of read it again, I started thinking, in light of verse 32, I don't think that's what Jesus is. I don't think Jesus is being sarcastic. I think what Jesus' question is, is now you believe, is really one of a statement, as if he's saying, good. Number one, thank you for the confession, guys. I'm glad that you understand that I came from God the Father, and I'm glad that you now believe, question mark, because verse 32, the hour is coming when you're going to scatter. Verse 32, Jesus makes this statement to them. An hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Do you believe? Do you really believe? This question, I, I have to believe that he is actually just using it to give them some affirmation for the future. I, I, I believe you believe, but just know that I know, guys, you're going to leave me. There is coming a time when you will leave me all alone. There's coming a time when it will be just me and my tormentors and the Father. You all will be gone, but it's okay because I'm not really alone. It's okay because the Father is always with me. A key to peace, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, is understanding that no matter what, God is always with us. You want to trouble me? You want to give me trials? That's fine. God is always with me. 
And that is the word of this teaching in verse 33. And, and, and this is all for our peace. These things is a, are a reference to what many call the upper room discourse. Uh, but these are the last things Jesus shares with them before his crucifixion. A, a time of great darkness is coming for them and for the world. Their, their teacher that they have been following for years now, for, for about three years, is about, he's about to be arrested and then tried and then put to death. And they're going to be just completely, for a moment in time, they're going to be just completely scattered and confused and, and scared. And the last word he gives them in this, in this gospel for, before his crucifixion, this last word of teaching is verse 33. So when you put it in that context, this is a pretty monumental word in verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. I, by the way, I'm reading from a different translation tonight because this was given to me and I, I wanted to just try it out. But uh, that verse 33, I really kind of like the old, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We can have peace no matter what troubles we face in this world, but the condition he gives the disciples is that they will only realize this peace in him. So we've talked about the Holy Spirit, we've talked about God's word, we've talked about our prayers, and we've talked about realizing that God is always with me. But the final statement is, in him. We will not have a peace no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, if we do not give ourselves to be in him and this is not figurative i mean it's not literally like we are inside of him but we are literally in him our life is in him and then we get reflections of like john 15 uh, if we are in him we will bear much fruit in him we are born again uh, you start to get this picture of being in him is really everything for us it's it's, it's the point of peace, it's the point of hope, it's the point of bearing fruit, it's, it's the point of everything, is being in Christ. Let me give us a little application before we go home about this. First, this, our failures in faith are not the finality of our faith in Him. You need to understand it, we need to understand that, we need, we need, to, we need to really feast on that idea. Our failures in faith are not the finality of our faith in Him. Jesus gives them a clear warning in verse 32 that they're going to scatter. They're going to fall away. Even though they now believed in him, and I, I really believe they believed, but their faith was weak. Remember a time when your faith was weak? Their faith was new. Do you remember when your faith was new? And it just could not stand firm in the face of persecution. There are many things that we need to flee from. But all of those things that we need to flee, flee from actually surround sin. When it comes to facing persecution, when it comes to facing trials uh, for our faith, that's when we actually need to stand firm and weather the fire in Jesus' name. That's what the disciples failed to do that, that night at the arrest and later on during the trials and later on. But even when we fail, we need to know this. Even when we fail to stand firm in the face of the test, in the, in the persecution, we need to know this. God is gracious. And is he, a, he is a loving God and a restoring God. And while the disciples failed in their faith and they scattered, Peter even denied knowing who Jesus was. Thomas wouldn't believe until he got to touch the nail scars. I mean, 
that's just gross when you think about it. Every time I read that portion about Thomas, I think about my grandpa. When I was a kid, he had a foot of his colon cut out. And for like a month, he wanted to show everybody his incision from that. And I was like, Grandpa, keep your bandages on, right? But the point is that Jesus doesn't just show up after their failure in the upper room and start throwing things at them and start just yelling at them and, and telling them what for. But what does he do? He eats with them. Pulls up his, his cloak and says, come on, guys, stick your finger in there. Come on, this is really kind of cool. It's, it's a hole that's been healed by Jesus. I mean, by God the Father, right? Hey, but guys, come on, stick your finger in there. Fill that hole in my hand. He spends time with, with them. The point is, is that Jesus, Jesus doesn't leave them behind. He, he instead spends time with them, and he causes their hearts to burn with faith. In fact, I believe it is in those moments of failure that when we spend time with Jesus in the midst of our failures, that our hearts and our faith grow and they rage for his name. That's what happened to them. In the midst of their failure, they spent time with Jesus and he turned their hearts to fire. And what did they do? They went, the Bible literally says that people said this about them, they are turning the world upside down. In the midst of our failure, don't give up, but instead turn back to him and find the fire he wants to light your hearts on with that will turn the world upside down for His name and for His glory. Number two, our faith in God should be in His will and His glory and not our own. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is about the fiery furnace and those three boys from Israel that had been kidnapped, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when the king Nebuchadnezzar was building this statue and he wanted everybody to bow down and, and they wouldn't do it, and you remember in that story, King Nebuchadnezzar called them up to the front of the area, front of the gathering, and he gave them one more chance to acknowledge and bow down to the statue, or they would be thrown into the fiery furnace. Do you remember what they said? I have it. Just, just I'll, let me quote it for you. This is what they said. Oh, king, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, but even if he does not, I love that, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, faith should not be dependent on a salvation of our, divine, of our design. Faith is dependent on God and his will. And when our faith is dependent on God and his will for our life, there we find our peace. That's when we find a real peace that surpasses any circumstance we find ourselves in. It's because my faith is no longer dependent on my, uh, de my designed outcome. It's now dependent on God and His will for my life. Jesus touches in His scripture on prayer requests again. And He is assuring us that what we ask for in His name, that, is, that it, if it is for His glory and His will, then these things will be granted by the Father Himself. Our deepest desire... What he is teaching is that our deepest desire should be for God's glory. That we should want more than anything for his name to be known. I really think, I really think this is where I miss the figurative boat, if you will, in regards to our faith in God. I get so, I don't know about you guys, but I get so infatuated with what I want. I get so distracted by what I think I need. 
I miss the opportunity to get something better from God. I get, not better necessarily by human terms, but better by His terms. Because instead of, instead of being pleased by His will, I instead settle for my will. And His will is so much better than mine. When I align myself with His will, things turn out so much better. For those, those three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they realized the greatest thing was not living a physical life of their design, of their will, but that the greatest thing would be this, that their physical life lived out for the glory of God looked like however God wanted it to live, look like. King, God can save us, but if, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Why? Because we serve God and God alone, and we will settle, we will be pleased, and we will find peace in what he wills for our life. And if that means burning up in a furnace, so be it. Jim Elliott, a missionary who was speared to death trying to reach a lost tribe in South America, was credited with this statement, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Number three, the greatest peace comes from being in him. The greatest peace we can ever experience comes from being in Christ. I talked a lot last week about situations and circumstances. I'm fairly certain you understand that peace and joy are not found in situations or circumstances. And so we know where it is not found. So where is it found? Peace is found in Him. And that might mean finding ourselves in less than peaceful circumstances. That might mean finding ourselves in tumultuous environments. The fact is that verse 33 really is probably a reference to the persecution that was soon coming to the disciples. What they would go through for standing firm in their faith in Jesus Christ. Torture, imprisonment, stonings, and even death is what awaited them. And each time they faced those woes, they would count themselves blessed to have been punished for the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that for a moment. The, the book of Acts testifies that at one point they were beaten and flogged, and when they were released, they celebrated because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. That's peace, no matter the circumstances. That's peace, no matter the situation. That's peace because they found their peace in Jesus Christ. I, know, I have no doubt that that perhaps as they faced these tumultuous circumstances, they perhaps were quoting this verse from Jesus himself. They didn't have a verse 33 back then. They just remember the words of Jesus. I have told you these things because troubles are coming. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have no doubt they were remembering that word in their, in their mind. I mean, I mean, think about it. In the midst of the jail, Peter is facing death the next morning. And what is he doing? Bible says he was sleeping. He was sleeping so hard that he was outside of the jail before he was awake. Paul and Silas were arrested in the jail. What were they doing? Singing psalms to the glory of God. You can't do things like that if you don't have a peace that surpasses our understanding. A peace that is only from heaven. 
while we have never fully realized this kind of punishment and trouble, we haven't faced um, stonings and near-death experiences because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we certainly do face trials and we certainly do face tribulations. We perhaps have even faced some type of persecution. I have no doubt that that time is coming near where there will be more of that. But our source for peace is the same today as it was for these disciples. It's Jesus. It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. Because he has overcome the world. Because he defeats death. Because he defeats sin. Because he is victorious over all things. And because of this we are in him, then we can have and enjoy the same victory in our lives in him. The problem is, is that at times there are those things that tempt us away from Christ. So you may be saying, why don't I have this peace that passes understanding if I am in Christ? And it's because there are times in our lives when we're not satisfied with the cleft of the rock. It's one of the reasons I requested that song. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. But you know what? Sometimes we're creatures that like to go, ex- go, go excurting outside of the cleft of the rock. We like to go that's not the word. We like to go uh, hiking. We like to go on a trip. You know, we want to go on an excursion and find what's outside the cleft of his protection. Kathleen and I used to love watching this show uh, called Storm Chasers. These guys had these heavy-duty trucks, and they had steel-plated everything on them, and they would drive into the eye of a storm, into the cell of these storms, and they would have these piston-driven spikes that would shoot out of their vehicles with the touch of a button and drive into the ground, and then they had these steel plates that would raise up over their windows, and their hope was to, to rot this, the eye of a tornado. They wanted to sit through the eye of a tornado. That's just crazy. But you know, sometimes we're like that, right? We're not satisfied with the calm of life. We want to go get into the rocky situation. We, we want to go experience the storm a little bit. There are times that we are tempted to go and see what the world is talking about. We don't want to be left with the crowd is murmuring about him. When we leave the, the protection and the victory that Christ offers us, who shelters us in the storm, that's when we put our position of peace on the line. You see, peace is not about circumstances, it's not about situation. Peace is about position. When you are in the position of being in Christ, you will experience His peace. But when you step outside of that position of being in Him, you put your peace on the line. And we so often do that for the temptations and the panderings that this world has to offer. So let us weather instead the storm in Him. Let us forget about experiencing the world's trappings. And instead, let us experience the peace of Christ. Listen, life is enough of adventure when we just live life in Him. We don't need to go experience what the world is talking about. My hope and prayer for you is that you will experience the peace that comes from being in a position of being in Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for... Your, he- your heavenly word. We lo- thank you for your spirit-inspired word. And, and Lord, I thank you for you speaking to us this evening. Father, I pray that you, um, you would just move in us to stay in our position of peace. That doesn't mean staying in comfort, but Lord, that means staying within your will for our life and finding that will through your word and through our relationship with you through the Holy Spirit, finding our will through you in, in prayer. Father, I just... I thank you for how you speak to us. And Lord, I am so thankful that 
when I have those failures of faith, you quickly find me and, and bring me back to you. Lord, you restore me when I am uh, I'm confessing and repentant, Lord. Father, I pray that you would just love on us. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.